0818-715-815. Hello, good afternoon, and you're very welcome to Limeline. Joe at RT.ie. Helen, good afternoon. You were listening as everyone yesterday. She was on nearly every radio station from early morning to late at night. The Minister for Education and Science, uh, Norma Foley, talking about uh, smartphones. Not a ban on smartphones, because I presume that's an absolute impossibility, even though people uh, think it's uh, straightforward to do. But she's going to allow schools to have a vote, parents to have a vote in primary schools, um, on whether uh, smartphones should be banned completely uh, from uh, school. What do you think of that, Helen? I have a mixed view of it. I think there should definitely be a lot more control on smartphones, but whether or not it will work to ban them from schools is a different situation. And what's, your, what's happened with your own two children, 10 and 12, a boy and a girl? Yes. OK, well... I'll start with the easier side of the story. My 10-year-old boy, Uh very curious, likes to watch YouTube, likes to look at assorted videos, thankfully has always been more into seeing experiments, seeing how things work, how things are made, how things are taken apart. Yeah, great. And that was, as far as I was concerned, wonderful. I thought this is at least an educational subject. I don't mind him watching things like this. Little did I realise that it would sort of spur him to look at trying these things himself. And while it's wonderful to look at a video and be shown how something works, when you're 10, Mm -hmm. you're not going to actually have the expertise to replicate that experiment you're not going to have the knowledge of what could go wrong. And the magic of YouTube, you see the perfect take at the end of it, but you don't know have they had to do 10, 20 more takes in order to get that one perfect experiment to run through. And what about what about the experiments worried you? <laughs> the experiments themselves are really interesting. But when my son decided that, oh, I can do this, I can be an experimenter. Mm -hmm. It unfortunately meant I started finding, you know, extinguished matches. I started finding pieces of paper that had been set alight and thrown into the pot cupboard. I found plastic lids that had been set alight and started to melt, hidden underneath items of furniture. So... At that point, I was sort of going, I can't let him continue watching all these things. They're just giving him too many ideas and there was too many ways that it could go horribly wrong. Okay, so how did you stop him watching? I put in place Google Family Link on his phone. I removed YouTube from our smart TV and restricted his access to YouTube by any means. Okay, so do you think that was enough? It certainly made a big difference. Okay. He suddenly had that realisation of going, wow, mum's really serious about this. This isn't just a case of, oh, okay, don't do that. And there was a marked change in his behaviour okay. when he didn't... So the Google, the Google parental... Um, veto the parental link that worked. Yes, well, that's already it there. It did work that's, because that, it was quite there. simple to just shut. And down. Well, had you heard of that from the school about the the various uh, uh, um, barricades? Basically, you can put on your child's phone. Had you heard about them from the school? No, I actually hadn't. Okay. When I had spoke, when I had attended a talk at my daughter's school, she's just started in first year mm-hmm. they didn't actually mention anything about it what did they say I about mobile phones was it this the mantra let's ban smartphones which is not going to get us anywhere uh, but anyway the, the mantra was very much you know yes they may have them but they have to be in their locker during the school day okay and what okay you say you, you can't make your mind up about what the minister for education is proposing 
though it's not clear. But anyway, I don't think yeah. it's clear. Having listened to six interviews with her yesterday, no, she's, she's she's a very articulate and fluent speaker. But I think they they uh, they realise you can't ban smartphones. It's an impossibility. You can't stop the tide. Helen, your ten year old daughter. What happened to her? My twelve year old. Twelve year old daughter. daughter sorry. My apologies. Just started in second level. Okay. Um, this happened just after she turned 12. Okay. She was involved in playing a game on her PlayStation. It was played on the TV screen in the sitting room. There was never anything that seemed questionable about it. But because it was played via a console, it's a bit more difficult to type out the words. So when she was trying to communicate with her teammates, it was more difficult. As a result... Someone that she was playing with online suggested that she download an app that would give her access to a chat room. Ah. And I'm sort of going, okay. Mm-hmm. She spoke to me about it. We went through all the usual safety steps of, you know, don't tell anyone your name, don't tell anyone where you're from, your age, yeah. what school you're in, tell them nothing. And that was fine. And at the time, it was always agreed between myself and my daughter that I would be able to randomly check any of her devices. And? At the time, I didn't... I had not activated any sort of parental controls mm. on her Android devices. And when did so, you... Dis- when, it's an awful shock. When did you s- discover that she, she was being groomed? Basically, yes. After couple of weeks of her using this chat room and any time I had checked it it was all very innocuous it was discussing events or how to find prizes on a map or general communication with team members on how to complete a task yeah it had always been very innocuous very acceptable and I was quite happy that it wasn't a risk unfortunately as she spent more time on it, she got a bit more secretive about it. Mm-hmm. But there was a day where, as we had always agreed, I could ask her for her device. When I okay. asked her for her device, she didn't want to hand it over. Nah. When I did check the device, I discovered that she was being sent private messages with lewd suggestions. with anime images of Mm -hmm. a very graphic and somewhat violent nature. And I was absolutely horrified and I completely and utterly flipped and I basically activated the parental controls, blocked her access to the app and chat room and hoped that that would be sufficient. And (laughs) And was it? Unfortunately, no. <coughs> Excuse me, Don't sorry. worry. And how did she manage then to get, or did she manage or even try to get yes. around this? She both tried and managed. Wow. Um, she hunted out an Android tablet that she had been given quite some time ago before she ever had a phone. When she started using her phone, it sort of fell into disuse and was just left. It wasn't really... So she she reactivated that bang, got back on the Wi-Fi and off she went. Exactly. At 12 years of age, being groomed, and was she being sent, do you mind me asking, pornographic images? Yes. Now, you took the smartphone away from her. I took the smartphone away from her, activated all the parental controls that I could find. I went through her search history. I noted down all of the search terms that I thought she was using to find other things as a result of being exposed to these sort of things in that private message. I then blocked all of those search terms, I blocked all the websites that I could find that were in her history that were unsuitable for her and returned the smartphone because I'm no longer with their dad. Mm. 
they still need to be able to speak to their dad whenever they need to. Okay. So, well, do they need? Well, they could returned. do that. They could do that with a basic phone. But do do you need to know? Well, people forget with a smartphone, you can find out. where well, I've often used it, in, especially in more recent years. Even though my children are in their twenties, but it, it's a way with their agreement because they're over eighteen. But it's a way of knowing where your children are at any one time if they're gone walking or whatever. Yeah. That's that can only exactly. happen on that can only happen on a smartphone. You need there to be GPS enablement. Yeah on the device in order to So you want do you want I'm saying do you want that? Do you I want, want that it information? To be there from yeah. my peace of mind. But at the same time I also have it there because my children can see, you know, if I'm late Yeah, great. Brilliant. Them up from they school, can see where you are. Where's mom? Yeah. Oh she's on her way. Yeah. I'll the, just hang out here the benefits, and everything uh, will be like, fine. I, I just wonder have the benefits <clears throat> of the smartphone being at all mentioned, the reason why people um people do actually go for them then they're, they're I know people say in your pocket there's porn and in your pocket there's violence but it's only there if you if you uh, go and access if that's it that's what you look for it now exactly. did you did you why did you not take the smartphone off your daughter you've all, you've half answered it if not fully answered it where you I'm a single mom yeah. I needed to be able to find where she was yeah if I had an early shift she would sort of leave 10 15 minutes after me and yeah. I would make sure that she has actually yeah. gone to school, yeah. having dropped her brother off to childcare because he would have been much too young to do anything along mm. those lines. I wouldn't. <sighs> but do you think that Sorry. that benefit of a smartphone, the safety, the security, the knowledge, the information, and also young people using smartphone to, to find out issues about going on the internet for school projects or writers or scientists yeah. or whatever, there's incredible um, benefits from it a smartphone. It is a wonderful resource, but like anything, it can be misused. Okay. D- did you did you at any stage threaten to take the, fo- the smartphone off your daughter? Difficulties um, I on did. that? I did. And? But when that happened and everything was locked down and she couldn't access the things she wanted to do, there was an awful lot of tantrums. There was an awful lot of I hate you. Yeah. But it did sort of settle a bit. And I'm sort of going, okay, things will be all right. But it turned out that she had just worked out how to get around it. Instead of using her Android devices, she had fished out the basic laptop that is used yeah. for my children to do their school projects. And they had downloaded a separate browser because everything she wanted okay. was blocked on Google. Well, the more the more so I hear you, the more and downloaded it's another yeah another browser app. and just went right around my back. And I discovered her at I think it was half one in the morning one night, happily away on her laptop, back in the chat room where I did not want her. Yeah. Well, do you feel that do you feel powerless, Helen, or is there is there any way you can convince her uh, to 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 stop accessing this this awful stuff? Thankfully, because of the parental control app, and because yeah. I am now aware that a Windows device is not gonna it it can be circumvented. All of those things have been taken away. Everything has Google parental control in the house. There isn't a single device now and, that doesn't have it. Okay, and in insofar as you can tell us, Helen, what what would what was the nature of the messages she was receiving that disturbed you so much? I'll be very honest. I will not repeat an awful lot of the things that were said to her or suggested to her on air because okay. I would be mortified. They're vile, they're vile, the they're vile, one, they're vile. To a 12 They were vile. The mildest thing that was said to her was, do you want to touch yourself? That was the mildest thing. That's the mildest Now, thing I didn't happened. hear in any of the discussions yesterday on the news programmes, I didn't hear anyone mention Google Parental Control or Family Link. You found that useful? I found it incredibly useful because yeah. I now have control over how much how much time what sites what apps my children can use okay i can adjust that dependent on what they need i control when they can start accessing their apps so okay, in our house and do you think that's do you think given the world we live in 
and being realistic and your daughter as and on the one hand she found all these ways of circumventing your instructions you could argue my god she's very inventive and she's great skills technological skills <laughs> you could argue that on the on the on the one hand um on the other hand there is calls for you know, uh, I know Bill Gates, um, Steve Jobs, didn't they limit access? They said they wouldn't give a cell phone to their children. are much older now. They wouldn't give a cell phone to their children until they were 14. And before that, they yeah. they limited their access to a certain time frame and a time period a day. Do you think that would work, Helen? I'm not entirely sure it would because... There is so many things yeah. that you can now access stuff on yeah. the internet. Yeah, yeah. Smartphones are not ideal, but they're just they're, they're so, so prevalent in our society. Uh, well, every so, well, adult, well, almost every adult. Yeah, has but they're one. prevalent because they're useful. Yeah. And, and they're for, on so many levels. That has to be accepted. Like they're not cigarettes that are inherently bad. Perhaps I, I, not. I, I'm just. I'm, I, I don't know. After fifteen, sixteen minutes talking to you. I'm I'm I am a lot wiser in terms of what happened, but I'm none the wiser about the smartphone ban. I I I think it's it's going to be nigh on impossible. And what happens if sixty percent of the the parents say, which they will, um, ban the smart the smartphone, and twenty percent don't know, and twenty percent say yes. What what happens? Does the sixty percent overrule? Does it is it down to a majority? I doubt if you could do that in the school. So it's a real. It's, 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 it's going to face huge challenges, whatever decision okay. is made, because, well, yes, there are huge risks with them, but there's also a lot of difficulty to try and control them. So many children receive their smartphones from their parents, one, because it may be on offer or a parent mm. had an upgrade, and that's the device that's there. Yeah. So it's sort of passed on, already primed with everything in it, yeah. and our children see us use smart devices all the time and what you're they saying doing the same. what 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 is working for you i know warts and all is it but what, what is working for you is you taking more control of the phone you can take yeah. you taking more access to their phones not taking yeah. the phone away taking the phone away didn't work yeah. all it did was upset them which meant an awful lot yeah. of grief for me and as a single parent it wasn't it wasn't something I could manage trying to run a home, keep everything up, yeah, yeah. going the way it's supposed to. And that sort of aggression and resistance from my children, it just didn't work. Okay. It's Hello. now reached a point where my children's phone shuts down at night. They have no access to apps overnight. If there was an emergency, they can make a telephone call. But it means that they, if they wake in the middle of the night, they're not going to just hop on the phone and be absolutely exhausted in the morning. Yeah, yeah. They can't actually access any of that stuff. Okay. And it and, turns uh, back on at a time where I feel it's appropriate. Okay, that was that was uh, 18 minutes, uh, 19 minutes coming up, of uh, reality of what's, what is actually happening. It's not these... Um, in impossible aspirations about smartphones that we can get rid of them and only sell them to under 14s or anyway I think that was a, a lot of reality and a lot of uh, thinking you've, you've uh, generated Helen kind regards to you and your two fantastic children your two fantastic children and uh, st stay well that's Helen Joe at rt.ie 51551 is a text Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815 Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. And yesterday you heard Martin and a number of other people as well talking about reflecting on what's happening in the Middle East and trying to, um, one, articulate how it, how it has impacted on them personally. And you heard Martin talking about, uh, even though what, what we're going through is a grain of sand compared to the desert uh, that the uh, people of the Middle East are going through at at the minute, and that's that's taken as a given. But Martin talked about waking up in the middle of his night, uh, the middle of the night, and hearing his wife just crying because of what she'd seen on television that day and witnessed over the last uh, four four weeks or so. Anya McCann contacted us. Anya, good afternoon. Hello, Joe. How are you? Good, thanks. Tell us your your reflections, Anya, please. 
Well, I, I've had to kind of switch off from it, really, uh, because it becomes a bit overwhelming after a while, especially uh, the visual stuff. And then it's just on all the time, all the time, and you're getting, you know, bombarded with it on your phone and the computer mm-hmm. and the news, and it's just continual. And then I think it might be like that for everybody anyway, but then especially when you've been in any kind of a situation where you've experienced any kind of trauma like that yourself, it becomes mm-hmm. especially triggering then. And tell us about your own trauma, Anya, please. Well, I'll tell you about mine, but I'm going to say that it's not particular to me and anybody who has lived okay. in the, the north of Ireland and uh, I suppose it doesn't even have to pertain to that because you have the Dublin, the Monaghan Bones as well, will understand what I'm saying. So when I'm talking about myself, I have to say I'll say it about me but it relates to anybody yeah. who, who up, up in the north will, will understand what I'm saying. Yeah. I was born into the Troubles yeah. so I wouldn't have known Belfast before that. Yeah. And we stayed up in Belfast until I would have been 12 years of age. So I came from West Belfast, a place called Turf Lodge. So it yeah. would have been up off the, off the Falls Road at the top of the Springfield Road. So um, I suppose when you're born into something like that, you, you just don't know any better. That's just the way it is. Yeah. And that's when I'm looking at those kids and what they're going through over there. I'm going, they just don't know any better. That's just... What they experience mm-hmm. is they just think life's like that. And uh, my father would have been shot by the Paris um, when I was three years of age. And people would always say to me, oh, it's okay, you don't you don't remember that. But mm-hmm. I, I do remember that. I remember him being in the house in the coffin and trying to get sweets and all the people being there and getting taken away. I had to stay with our primary school teacher. And my mother being slumped in the corner and not being responsive and feeling very frightened even by that, by not being able to get a response out of her, you know. And then as you grow up, then, um, you know, always seeing the army in the street and then all of a sudden the army coming around our house when we were kids and, you know, beating the door in and, and fighting with my mother because they wanted to come into the house and you're sitting there on the stairs in your nightdress and it's cold and it's, you know, three o'clock in the morning or something and they come into the house and all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, helicopters always flying over the house at night time with searchlights. And I even think, like, when you see war films, like, in the ghettos and stuff like that, that all, you know, stuff like that comes back to you. Oh, God, yeah, that's Turf Lodge, you know. Uh, being out in the streets, the army walking around all the time. And then when I would have been seven, near seven, closer to eight years of age, it would have been October, actually. Um... Myself and my friends walked down the bottom of the street because somebody was saying, oh, there's wee lads throwing stones at the Brits. I'm you're talking about stones, you're talking about pebbles, for God's sake. And the Brits were down the far end of, of our street. Our, our street was a crescent, so this was the street that it made on to. And there was three wee boys, now they were only about 12, and the army were down the far end of the street. So we walked down past the army, and they were teaching... We could, it was very, I could see what was going on. They were training a, a young army. One of, the, one of the, the young army lads to use a rubber gun. And we turned around again and walked up and they were moving closer to where the wee lads were. Mm. And there was an officer standing there as well. And there were the other soldiers who were there were completely relaxed. And we walked up and one of the wee boys threw, well, I can only describe it as a pebble because it landed beside my foot. It didn't get anywhere near the Brits at all because we were turning up in, back in the R Street at that stage. And we had just got back up into the street when somebody shouted, the wee lads got hit and we ran down again. And then we seen his body lying in, uh, at the corner where they were standing. Yeah. And that wee boy is Brian Stewart. Yeah, and he had like a page boy haircut and then we could see all the blood coming out at the side of his head and his body started convulsing and one of the Brits ran up and tried lifted him by the two legs and tried to drag him away and then Dickie seen his body shaking and he panicked and he ran away again 
and then, then the adults came out and then they lifted his body and brought him up into one of the, the yeah. houses in the R Street. And then uh, there was a wee girl I, when I went to secondary school up to Glen Road, my best friend and her sister. I used to meet up with her sister and her friend and go for lunch. And the, the old, you had a school um, dinner centre. Yeah. And uh, Patricia was... Um, Alison was my friend. Patricia was, was her sister. And, um, so, and Julie was Patricia's friend. And so this would have been May of 1981. And hunger strikes were on. And Julie, after school, was sent... Um, for a pint of milk. She was in her school uniform and she never came home because she was hit in the head with yeah. rubber bullets. And I remember going into school the next day and Patricia sitting there in floods of tears, like completely heartbroken and said, like, she didn't do anything. And, and, and I didn't know what to do. I was only 12 at the time. And then, you know, like nowadays, they send people in, they send teams of people in, counsellors and all this kind of thing. And it was just like this really heavy atmosphere in the school for about two weeks after it. But like I felt responsible for Patricia and I didn't know what to do. Mm. And I'm standing there going, what do I do here? Like you're dealing with your own trauma of, you know, Julie's dead. Like because we always would have hung out in the cloakroom and stuff together. And then feeling responsible for Patricia, like she was completely heartbroken mm. and sobbing, that really heavy sobbing, and going, oh my God, what do I do here? Like, and I, I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And you I, know, I, you don't I, know what to do. Yeah, and I, I don't want to interrupt, especially when you're talking about the, those children, because myself and Frame Clemens tried to record all the children that were killed and the give them a, a, yeah, a, right. a face yeah. and a voice. The circumstances of your own, your own father was only 24 when he was shot. That's right. Yeah, he was shot in the back. A number of times and when he was running away, the uh, special branch had seen him down in the market area of Belfast and they had they knew he was going up this certain street. So they would uh, it was a little side street. So they had drove up a bigger street then at the back of that would have led up to, to, towards the city hall. And they came across. Uh, what they said was a vehicle checkpoint that was manned mm-hmm. by the parachute regiment, and they said, Joe McCann's coming down here, we need your assistance in arresting him. And they walked down. They were, they, were they, look, they were looking for your father. He was a commander in the official IRA in Belfast, wasn't he? And very, very well known, very, very well known and regarded in national community for his heroism, wasn't he? Yes, because, yeah, he was. Yeah, and it's so very where does hard, it, hard to this, explain to people the difference between the official IRA and the professional IRA because yeah. people just don't even know. They don't even know their own history, a lot of people. Yeah. Well, the so provision, they, 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 they weren't just different uh, political views or whatever, different, but they, they also fought against each other, didn't they? And the INLA feud and all of this stuff. Yeah, and that was on. another thing that happened yeah. to us as well, because when one of those feuds was going on, uh, the provisional IRA actually put a bomb at the back of our house. Yeah. And then they put a letter out the next day to say anybody who was bombed or killed or shot that at the, during this feud that night, it was Halloween. Um, was actually, you know, because they were involved in criminality and all this kind of thing. And my mother wrote a letter and said, would you mind telling me, I'm a widow with four kids, what we actually done? So this is the kind of, not only did you have the breast... Did she get a a reply from the provost? No, she didn't, no, no. And uh, Anya, what what are your reflections on today? Are Are we powerless? In terms of what's happening, well, I, I think it's important that that people like like the, what you see happening over there has a lot of connections to Ireland. Mm-hmm. So it does with counterinsurgency and how they went over there um, post nineteen nineteen twenty. And I don't want to get into that too much because mm-hmm. you know a lot of people, you know, it's contested. It's a lot of it's con- not you know all well, of, even yeah, even phrases are con- language is contested. Everything is. I hate is to contested. see the language that they're using yeah. because again it goes back to language that was used about yeah. Irish people as well. Yeah, and yeah. back back in those days, did you see Fergal? Did you see Fergal Sharkey from Derry? The undertones. Oh, he's he's, I a, did. he's a major I did. campaigner in the UK now and other. 
other yeah. environmental yeah. issues. This is Fergal Sharkey from the Undertones, yeah. originally from Derry, grew up again during the Troubles. I'd say, I don't, anyway, I'd say Fergal is in his early 60s at this stage. This is Fergal on uh, BBC last weekend. Well, this is the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. For 25 years, the people of Northern Ireland have been able to prosper and grow and blossom and have discovered that this thing, peace, is a very delicate, beautiful little flower that needs nurturing, caressing and supporting. I do wish that the people of Gaza and Palestine and Israel get to discover what 25 years of peace, prosperity and diplomacy and democracy looks like and that those people can blossom into a much more confident, much brighter future for everyone involved. But even today, Anya, as what um, Fergal said there about everything being contested, like even today, I don't know whether you, well, I'm sure you do, but even letters to the papers, one group of academics writes to the newspaper saying, attacking Israel. Um, I don't know whether you saw that in the Irish Times, apparently 600 academics signed this letter, though one of them was subsequently exposed by... Felix Larkin as as a fraud and a name that was that came from an anti Semite that was in Ulysses Garrett DC. But anyway, the letter is still there in the Irish Times, so I think they've taken out that name. And then there's another letter uh, a couple of days later from another group of academics, and they're they're making the point. One of the things they said was that in the original letter from the academics and scholars, and they um they they described the October the seventh. a Hamas attack as the incursion by Palestinian armed groups on October 7th included criminal acts against civilians. 1,400 civilians were massacred. Two, well, we don't know the exact figure, were kidnapped. So ev- everything is contested. And then I'll, I'll bring in uh, Susan McHugh in a sec who tried to organise and did successfully a, a peace demo in uh, Dublin. And Susan, Susan, you're there. Good afternoon. I am, Joe. Um, Before I say anything, I just want to pass on my respects to Brian Stewart's family and to all the children and people that have died in our country over the last number of years. And indeed, all the people who've died in the last four weeks. It's just shocking. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, will you remind people, it was 30 years ago today, uh, sorry, this year, 1993. March. <laughs> March this year. March yeah. 30 years ago. 1993. Yeah. And you rang yeah. uh, Liveline. It was after war- after the Warrington bombing. The two boys That's that right. were killed. A no-warning car bomb by the IRA. Jonathan Ball and Tim Parry were coming out of a sports shop. And uh, they were killed. Um, now, what difference... Because Martin yesterday said, can we not organise a peace demo? I or a, a demo to incorporate everybody. But that's that's not yeah. going to happen, is it? Even well, in Dublin, no, it's not I, going to happen. <laughs> I mean, it would be fantastic. Wouldn't it be wonderful to show the world here now? And not only in Dublin, now, I would be asking for every town, village, north and south to come out on a particular day, on a, maybe a Sunday, not only in Dublin. Um, the reason I'm, I suppose I'm saying this, Joe, is there's anything I have learned over the last 30 mm. years is... Um, I came out after little Jonathan Ball was killed and then a couple of days later, um, Tim. Jonathan was three and Tim was uh, 12. He died, I had yeah. no political... Yeah, mm. yeah, because Tim died two or three days later. He was on life support and, and died. And some people were injured as well. Um, I came out, Joe, because as a mother, I have no political uh, party behind me or indeed experience. Yeah, know, yeah. And I felt that... Um, it, that could have been Dublin, as indeed a couple of years before that it was the Dublin Monaghan bombings, but that it was a little child who had done no wrong, and mm. I felt as a mother I could not stand back and do nothing and say nothing, and that bomb was certainly not planted in my name. And I felt at the time it wasn't planted in the vast majority of the Irish people as well. Mm. Okay? So, um, 
we had a meeting in Trinity, bearing in mind it was all before Facebook and all that. Okay, but I'm going to move you along because I want to be, you you got an incredible figure of up to 20,000 people onto a corner street calling for peace. Now, there is a a demonstration uh, almost everywhere this weekend. London, as you know, that's contested because of the Remembrance Day and that's turned Mm. into Mm. an awful... uh, football game and British politics and British radio mm. programmes should you have mm. anyway but like there's a demo on Friday Saturday in Dublin and I'm sure there is mm. but I was looking at the banner and like you cannot disagree with what's on the banner you know stop the killing of children in Gaza let the humanitarian aid through feed the children ceasefire or whatever but the, the, the rally doesn't mention doesn't say free the hostages well, now, Joe, very, very quickly, I, I will address that. And I will address it by saying, when we had the rally in O'Connell Street, where over 20,000 came, a group of people came from the north of Ireland who had lost families through plastic bullets. Mm. You've only heard the story there a moment ago. And at the time, it just shows how little we actually did know down here in the south, or how little I knew. But I didn't see that. It, they came down with banners, OK, to mm. join the peace rally. Yeah, yeah. Because those people that felt, and rightly so too, very upset that in the north of Ireland, nobody in the south had come out in such a number against killing. And to me, those children who died in Warrington were children. I never classed them as English, Irish, French, German. They were little children, OK? And the people who came down to say that their family and loved ones from plastic bullets had every right to be there. But unfortunately, due to, dare I say, ignorance, whatever you like to call Mm -hmm. it, the crowd around them thought, no, they thought they were protesting against peace rally, which they were not. They went on their buses back to the north of Ireland. Now, when we found out about them, we, we, a couple of days later, three or four of us, went up to Belfast and met some of those families, right? And it taught me the lesson in that children are children. And at the end of the day, Joe, people will have to sit down, as we did in this country. Do you know what I mean? Like Paisley, Mm. um, Bertie Ahern... Tony Blair, you named them all. But do you think, Susan, to to come back to Martin's suggestion yesterday, do you think this incredible demonstration that you organised, do you think it made a difference? And if so, what was the difference? I think it did make a difference. I think it did make a difference. Uh, The difference being that the people who were carrying out these atrocities apologised. They apologised for the Warrington bombing, Joe. Um, You know, and and I do think, as they say, (laughs) you do not know the person who you may have stopped picking Mm. up a gun to kill somebody or that, or, you know what I mean? And I mean, to stand back and do nothing. And I think every one of us sees the horrors on the telly every night. Mothers, grandmothers, you know, brothers, sisters. It's horrific. It's horrific. As is what happened in the kibbutz. I was listening to a guy last night in the radio who said that a journalist who had gone into the kibbutz and he actually stood in the house in a little child, little girl, little girl's bedroom, and there was bullets holes, you know, in the ceiling, in the walls and everything. It's the same. She's a child. Do you get me? <laughs> so you have to come and say both sides. Um, it's horrendous. It's awful. But the killing and the violence has to stop. And they have to sit down and talk. And Anya, what are your your reflections of what Susan has said? How can we go forward? Well, I think uh, we've too many politicians and not enough statesmen. And I think we know enough Mm. at this stage. We've been around cycles and cycles of this throughout history. And we can sit down and argue about who said what, when, dates and all that kind of thing till the cows come home. And at the end of the day, we know enough. We know enough about the effects of trauma yeah. from a scientific perspective. And how, on how, the body. Has, how has it affected you, Anya? Uh, well, I mean, we would came, came down here and got on with it and lived our lives and yeah. at various times. I mean, we always kept going up. 
the north all the time anyway and then we had yeah. the whole thing of having to take my father's case on again and, and that was a huge thing as well but at some point in time you have to start facing it and I find I'm in my early 50s now that's yeah. only coming back and one of the things is, is smells and that that's and, and there was a, a fellow on talking from Gaza and he was talking about smells as well and these are things that people don't realise yeah. and, and this is what I'm saying about I, I'm even watching it and I'm watching those kids and even the people on, on the either side it doesn't it doesn't matter I don't care what side anybody comes from it's uh my, my my partner was given this blender by his mother and she's going, oh, this is from the 1970s and it's mm. still going. I'm going, great, circular economy, brilliant. And he thinks this is brilliant. And I'm going, I can't cope with that smell. And this must be about 10 years ago. And I kept saying to him, I can't cope with this smell. And it's in the cupboard. Yeah. And he took the iron out recently. It's just on Saturday. And I went, I, I nearly couldn't contain myself I wanted to cry that much and it's only a couple of times now and I'll explain why in a second because in the 1970s that's when these fake flowers had come in and you would have got some that were like in a circular thing with a, a dome a plastic dome I remember them, yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. and as the plastic degraded it had this certain smell off it and when I smell that it, it, it's very triggering for me and it just brings mm. me right back to Middletown Cemetery and, uh, and I don't know what else but I, uh-huh. I just remember one point coming up and turning in Middletown Cemetery because it was a band for my father and then getting attacked there by the police and somebody grabbing the stick off me yeah. and all, all hell breaking loose and having to run in and hide behind uh, the the gravestones and everything there and, and I it's it's stuff like that for these kids, for these people over there. But, but I mean, that's been going on for so long over there. Do you know what I mean? Smells. Yeah. Certain things are always going to be triggered for those and, people. And Anya, do you think people... And We're all human and we can't feel, we can't empathise. It's, but do you think people who weren't directly affected by the troubles, if you follow me, or sorry, by violence, I won't say the truth, by violence... Realise the long-term impact that it does have. No, 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 no. Okay, stay with us. Yes, just stay with us. More people want to come in with you after this break. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. By the way, if you want to contribute by a voice message, 08718 Four three uh, seven oh nine. Uh, Vincent Cullen. Vincent, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. How are you? Good. Um, your reflections, please. Joe, I, I, I think what's happening all around the world. I'm 86 years of age now. My time is running out, and I look what's happening all around all of these years, and it gets me down very bad. I see the fighting in Ukraine. See the fighting mm. in. Gaza now and in Northern Ireland and stuff all got me down. And I've always right. You know, my father brought me up to always think that there should be peace around the world. Which it's only a little bit yeah, of land we should well, all share we together. We all agree with that, yeah. So I wrote a poem about it. That's that's. that's oh, it. did you? Okay. And when did you? Sorry, when did you write the poem? I write. I wrote a poem first about the trouble. I wrote troubles in Northern Ireland. I wrote one for for our anniversary for the for the troubles, the the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, and I. And I left it there. And then I then this war started, and he said, "Oh, again, it's happening again." Joe, I, you know, I can't sleep, but it was happening all over the world. That, that 7th October massacre, I couldn't sleep, and I can't sleep now with the trouble of the children being killed and all. Just every time I see a child hurt, it just gets me mm-hmm. down. That's it. Tell the truth. And I nearly cry. I can't sleep at night. And now we're thinking about some look at it. I thought I'd have to do something, and I said, well, I wonder why I write this poem, and I thought I would do something. And I got on to somebody, and said, well, that poem, you should go to Joe Duffy. I said, I'll try with Joe and see what happens. And that's what happened. I'm here today with okay. the poem. And hope have you a name? I know we, 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 you asked us to record it with you earlier, um, because you, you uh, understand me, you might find it difficult doing it live. What's the name of the poem, Vincent? It's, it's named Peace. It's named Peace for all of oh, okay. Peace, peace, yeah. Okay, okay. And let's, let's listen to this. Our history and cultures keep us apart. It's not what God wants, you know in your heart. Small bits of land we all claim that we own. Let's share them together and let's call them home. Hatred and war should be things of the past. Let's march together and make a peace last. Reach out to each other across the divide. Think of our friends who should never have died. Let us be honest. Above all, be fair. Take away weapons and tanks. No need for them there. 
Let's try to undo the wrongs of the past. Just get together and make a peace last. This may not be easy. Sometimes it may fall. But if we keep trying, we'll come to it all. Let's march together with banners unfurled. Stand together, we'll make a new world. Think of our loved ones, our children today, pure as the snow when they go out to play. Give them their freedom, minds of their own. Don't ask who's your friends, but welcome them home. Let's live, let's live in a world where equality is protected, have harmony and peace, and views are respected. All this fighting and bickering is going nowhere. If we don't start a new plan, we'll all end up in despair. Okay, that's Vincent's poem called Joe. Peace. I'll come back to you in a sec, Vincent. Lou McGovern, Joe at RT.ie, 5155 text. Lou, you say, yes, you say you're paralysed with, with helplessness. I'm absolutely paralysed with helplessness. I have five grandchildren. One of them, one of my granddaughters is eight years of age. Mm-hmm. So she's the same age as Emily Hand. Yeah. And, and Emily will, be, will be nine on Friday week, I think. Yeah. Yes. And, and again, every child, every child we have to think of. Okay. Um, get, sorry, yeah. I, sh- I shouldn't have added, even added in that thing about no, that's okay. Emily's birthday. I, I, uh, you feel powerless and helpless. I fear, yes. And I, I, year after year after year, I hear our leaders saying that we're a small nation, but we have huge influence in the world. And... I want our leaders now to use that influence and to, I, I, I don't care who's to blame for this, but what we're seeing every night on our televisions is a scene from hell. Mm. And we're going to continue seeing it. We've seen it in Yemen. We saw it in Iraq. We saw it in Syria. We saw it in Afghanistan. War does not work. And we know that if we do nothing, nothing will happen. I don't know what we can do, but I do know that if we do nothing, we are wrong. Mm. And, and I, 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 okay, so, so uh, okay, Anya, Anya, do you want to d- reflect on that? Uh, yeah, that, I, I that helplessness. absolutely agree with that. I, 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 we need to stand up and actually say something. That's one of the strengths of the Irish people. Well, have they not done that? Um, has Lee, has the Taoiseach not done that by characterising what the Israelis are doing in Gaza as revenge while absolutely condemning uh, October the 7th and the, the yeah. murder of people and the kidnapping of people? But as our, what more can our Taoiseach do? Well, maybe not the Taoiseach, but I think Irish people, I don't think it's a bad idea. Well, what if... can they do on you? If people demonstrate about it, well, you, I think one of you, the, you, we always say that about the the Second yeah. World War. Why why did this happen? I know. And people say because okay, someone didn't yeah. stop and shout. Well, would you go? But well, would you go on a demo? Sorry, would one go on a demonstration this Saturday that rightly condemns what's happening in Gaza, but doesn't mention the hostages? Doesn't say free the hostages. Joe, well, I think it should say that. Yeah, so don't, yeah. Uh, Lou. Uh, we don't have to say who's right or wrong. Israeli children, Palestinian children, Irish children, Yemeni children, they're all the same. They're mm-hmm. all precious lives. They all belong to families who are broken by what is happening. And anybody who has any sense of right and wrong knows that what's happening on both sides is wrong. And there may be many people who don't want to go on marches because they don't want to be seen to be supporting Hamas. They want to support Palestine, but they don't want to support. There is a simple way. Don't carry a flag. Carry a white handkerchief or a white flag. Just we want peace. Yeah, but then at the end of the I, at the end of the demonstration, this is this is this is no secret. At the end, and and at the, it's no it's no it's an observation. It's not a complaint. At the end of the demonstration, I think last week, and I'm sure it'll happen this week as well. There's certain politicians who will be allowed to speak. Certain politicians who will not be allowed to speak. Uh, but they, the the message would be totally and completely anti-Israel. Probably again, comparing uh, Israel to the Third Reich. Indeed, as one former minister compared the 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 demonstrators to the Third Reich equally equally awful on both on both sides. Um, 
And are you supporting, sorry, is one, by going on that demonstration, is one supporting Hamas as as uh, you believe? Because there's not going to, if the hostages aren't mentioned, they're not mentioned um, in the, in the, um, in the in the information for the demonstration, the fact that Hamas want to it's, and I know people make an analogy with the IRD, but the IRA or indeed the UVF, they never ever said they wanted to kill all Protestants or all Catholics and eliminate them off the face of the earth. But Hamas have said they want to kill all the Jews and and topple the Egyptian government and work towards a worldwide caliphate. So like but now you see, Joe. Now what you're doing is. You're 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 saying that it's not it's not allowed to take one side or the other, and what I'm saying well, is every, everything's that allowed. hundreds of thousands of us don't want to take sides. We just want peace. Why can't we? Why do we have to have politicians speak? Why can't we stand in solidarity with all people yeah. who are at war? We yeah, have yeah. to do something. We can't we can't just sit at home. If we sit at home, then we know oh, it, that yeah, nothing will yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And the power is with the people. Okay. The power is not and should not be with the politicians. It should be with the people. And the politicians will have to listen if enough people stand silently in solidarity and ask for peace. They know how to get peace. Don't for one minute mm. think... That, that if a phone call was made... I wish, I wish uh, it was from, as simple as that. I really do. No, really but Joe, there has to be I pray an answer. to God. I agree with you. I agree with you. Thanks, Lou. Thank you for your reflections. And Susan McHugh and Anya uh, McCann and uh, Vincent Cullen. And Anya, condolences on the death of your uh, father. Joe at RT.ie. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Joe! Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. And just a reminder of uh, self-published books. If you want to participate in our self-published books programmes uh, in about five weeks' time, please uh, send your self-published book, Marcus self-published, to Liveline, RT Radio, uh, Dublin 7. And please, on the book, not... not uh, not not tic-tacked on, but sellotaped on or actually stapled on the information or writ- written on the contact, your contact uh, details. Geraldine Carton has contacted us. Geraldine, uh, why and what, what are you looking for? Hi, Joe. Um, yeah, I guess I'm doing a project at the moment. I'm an artist and I'm doing a project that's all centred around women and their bodies. And I will be painting a big kind of wall of boob portraits. Um, ideally 96 breast portraits um, that covered the ni- number 96 and um, it's supposed to be reflective of the 9.6 um, gender wage discrepancy that continues to this day but it's supposed to really just be showcasing women's bodies in a realistic imperfect way and um, you know really just trying to champion women and, and encourage so what's live what's live lines role or what, what why did you contact us <laughs> well the reason I'm contacting you is that I need more women so I've got a great range of um, kind of younger and different size women. But what I'd love to get is to have more women who are age 70 and older who are willing to bare their breasts and send me a photo of their boobs, which I will paint and it will be part of my showcase. And where will, where will these the paintings be displayed? They will be displayed in an exhibition. So I'm just in the process of trying to source my um, exhibition space. Um, but yeah, we're, we're making a documentary, a documentary about it as well. You know, it's all really just trying to encourage women to um, em- embrace their body because at the moment what I'm seeing more and more is women feeling terrible about themselves. You know, and not only does that affect their own sense of worth and, and how they see their body, but actually it's affecting women in their finances. They're spending loads of money trying to look a certain way or mm-hmm. they're not going out at times because they feel so bad about themselves. So ideally what I'm trying to get is, you know, opening up this conversation about how pe- women feel about themselves and try to create a more positive alternative. And how do you think women feel about themselves? Insofar as, well, one, insofar as one can generalise. Yeah, I think women feel pretty terrible. I mean, like, eating disorders are huge. I mean, like, I'm talking to groups of women at any kind of point in time, like, 
you know, they could be coming in all different shapes and sizes and yet the only thing they have in common is that they've had a pretty complex and fraught relationship with their body, you know, since mm. kind of coming to adolescence. It is, it's, it's a really big problem and so much more than just the bare kind of, I don't like how I look. I think it does hit a far deeper um, point mm. of pain. And I, I think it's something that needs to, needs to really be challenged, um, especially the way women's bodies are portrayed in media. I mean, we're led to believe there's this one specific way mm. of being beautiful, of being accepted. And, you know, what I'm realizing, because, you know, I've seen a huge amount of bodies and breasts now at this point, um, because actually when I put a call out on my Instagram initially and I got 279 women got back to me. Like, this really, it did hit a part of people's, of women's psyche that they felt they did mm. want to contribute to. Um, but... What I am seeing is that women's bodies come in such a huge range, course, far yeah. bigger actually than I even real. But no, far bigger than I realised. Mm. And like, what I believe is that the way women are presented in the media is that it's so reductive. You know, I I didn't realise. You know, I've actually you know come such a, a way with my own perception of my body. But like, there was so much about my body that I thought was weird. I know it's only seen other women's bodies that I realised actually, like the the what's weird is the thought that you know there's only one way. That is normal. Like what's what's normal is completely abnormal. And what I'm seeing is the only thing we have in common is that we're all abnormal. You know. Um, so yeah, really, what I'm why I'm calling is hoping that I could get more older women to get involved. I really want to be as inclusive with this project as possible, and I'd love to you know get women of er, er, all ages that I could possibly get um, to to help mm-hmm. me showcase you know, this this wide range of women. And you say in your contact with us, I wouldn't have had so many problems with my body if I'd seen more of this. Well, absolutely. Well, representation is so important. I mean, I think I, you know, since maybe age 18, like just was really on this quest to achieve that level of beauty or perfection that I thought was attainable and was what was expected of me. And yet it's only now in hindsight, you know, by going through this whole journey and and kind of overcoming my own struggles that I realized it almost feels like it's like the biggest scam of our current society. You know, it feels like we're all being led down this, this way of thinking that we're wrong for some reason. And actually what I'm realizing is that's not the case at all. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it is something that I feel so strongly about. Like the med- you know, I'm sure if you were to open up a conversation with anyone, uh, any woman you know, like you, you'd hear so many tales of just like shame and and disgust and confusion as well. Like you know, again, I don't know if you, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen a diagram of the woman's muscular system. Go ahead. What are you going to tell us, yeah? So basically, if, if anyone you know, and you can as well, if anyone like is listening and wants to Google woman's muscular system, what you'd see is. A diagram of you know a woman's breast and and the milk ducts and it's amazing it looks like a flower and it's you know wow. I was in an all girls school from age three to eighteen and yet I was never shown this diagram and you wow. know I just feel there's such a disrespect shown to women and their bodies that if we're not even taught about our bodies how are we supposed to respect them let alone appreciate them and so yeah so I'm going around in circles here but it does it honestly it makes me feel like you know, what we're led to believe is that women don't matter and we're not good enough at our base level. And and it's just, it's really affecting. I do think it's really affecting to people. Um, so how have people been reacting to your requests? <laughs> um, I suppose a range of uh, surprise, delight, um, concern maybe. Uh, no, it's great. Like people do seem really, I mean, I, I was flabbergasted by the response. I was hoping for 20 what I got was 279 but um, yeah I mean again you know I'm hearing all these stories from women who are who are sharing with me why they wanted to get involved and you know even feeling feeling concerned about say there's women who have got had mastectomies mastectomies people who um, are, are pregnant have had babies and then all of that brings as well I mean the reason why I show I decided on boobs as being the focal mm. point of this project is that you know the way our media portrays boobs or breasts is like so sexualized, hypersexualized, and you know they're very. It's a very reductive way of looking what I think women would see as a completely, you know, very complex body part. You know, not only is it something mm-hmm. that brought, you know, with it a lot of 
unwanted maybe attention when they were younger, you know, that, that with, you know, um, the onslaught of uh, adolescence and growing boots, like suddenly you're, you know, all this attention is, is uh, directed in your way that you wouldn't have anticipated. But also then, you know, as you get older, if, if you have children, they change and, and then breastfeeding and the pain and that experience. Like, again, this is something I was taught nothing about when I was in school, yeah. which you would assume was a crucial thing to teach young women in an all-girls school that was just completely omitted from the from the syllabus. We were too busy learning about oxbow lakes and soil consistency and um, not actually taught about our own bodies and what would be happening to them. Um, and so hearing about these women, talking about their experience, even, you know, menopause and, and again, further body changes, it just, it seems like we've had, there's been such a disservice done to women with just omitting sharing information. Like everyone knows, you know, knowledge is power and yet I feel like such a little amount of knowledge has been bestowed upon women about themselves. Um, and you so, said, yeah, really, you, did you say to me some some women were concerned? Well, you know, sorry, concerned. I was just, I suppose, concerned <laughs> more in a tongue-in-cheek way. My, my family members were saying, what? They're going to be showing your boobs? Getting women to show their boobs? Um, so not really deep concern, but more so, uh, it's, look, it's something that women are, are shy about at best and maybe, you know, deeply shamed about at worst. But um, it's 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 been really enlightening, and I've been thrilled mm-hmm. to connect. And when with people, I've like, well, so okay, what is the process? Now people make up their own minds. I I don't. Our live line doesn't know the ins and the ins and outs of this, so to speak. But uh, people, tell us how how can people uh, assist you, and how how are they guaranteed uh, anonymity and privacy? Yes. Yeah, so I suppose. First of all, I have a sign-up page, um, which I'm going to be reopening right now um, because I had to close it because I was just getting overwhelmed with the amount of responses. But I really would love older women in particular, and as well any trans women. It is important for me that I get as as big a range of women as I can. But how women would get in touch is um, they um, via my Instagram page. My handle is at Geraldine underscore Carton, like a carton of milk. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a link in my bio, which they can click in and access the boob sign-up page. And um, there, there's basic information, their name and their address. They describe their relationship with their breasts. And if there's any um, detail about themselves, which would kind of lend itself to being part of a cohort that isn't very well represented. So if you're, say, over the age of... Initially, I said 50, but I'll be altering that to say over mm. 70 um, and different stuff like that. Um, and then from there, I'm, I'm in touch with people, back and forth, trying to figure out who would be a good fish. Because, again, at this point... And what about, what men. about trans men who've, uh, who've had their... who were born female, obviously, who've had their breasts removed? Yeah, well, I mean, this is a, a project specifically for women. So trans men are men and trans women are women. So this is for women. So all trans women are more than welcome to be involved. Someday down the line, maybe I'll do something for men. What photographs of trans women? They weren't born with breasts. What do they send you in? Yeah, but they've, I mean, if they've had a breast surgery, then that, that's what their breasts are now. A, bre- a breast enhancement. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And there's lots of women, you know, who are who yeah, are sending no, no, in photos no, no. they have had breast enhancements um, or, or different kind of surgeries. Maybe no, I'm just, just going to become quite controversial because I don't know whether you're across. It's it's a slightly different take on it, but I don't know whether you're across this debate that went on in the UK about six months ago, where one of the I don't know what product they were at, but one of the one of the big brands um, had a, used a photograph of a woman. Uh, a trans man who had who had his breasts removed, um, mm-hmm. and the, the photograph was obviously of the the scars, and a lot of people objected because a lot of women have not lost their breasts by choice. They've lost their who were born women. They've lost their breasts because of breast cancer, and they thought it was, in somehow cheapening their experience by using, using that image, uh, to sell a product. Yeah, I guess. It's, it's, um, it's a, I, again, it's a contested area. But I don't think that really applies to what I'm talking about okay. because what you're talking about is a man. This is all women. Yeah, I'm talking about someone who's born a woman who has her breasts removed. Yes. So, yeah. so what you're saying, the issue with that in the ad is that it, it felt like it was taken away from women's experience. Yeah, the, the issue I heard debated at length and, and mm. the, you can't really do it in Ireland, but you can debate it at length in the UK was that these were uh, women who were making a choice because they wanted, they believe, and that, that's, that's 
that's their experience so that's true there's no debating it they believed they were men but they were making a choice to have their breasts removed and this this person this was using it and then there was an objection but anyway so where do people send their information so they could email me at gcarton91 at gmail.com or ideally they could get in touch via Instagram as well uh, and that's at, Ger- at Geraldine underscore Carton and the link is there. Okay, okay. Well, best of luck with the project, Geraldine. Uh, thank thank you, Thanks for having me on. Oh, hang on, hang on. I have someone, I have someone Sandra, I have someone for you here. Sandra, Sandra, Sandra. Hi, Joe. How are you? Go, uh, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, you're listening to you Geraldine. Know. I am, and I, to be perfectly honest, I missed the very start of it. Okay. Um, I'd have to excuse me. I, I don't sound great out of tooth out yesterday, but anyway. Oh, yeah, uh, I know there's an abscess on it, but anyway. No, from what I've heard about it, I'm very interested in it as as a woman who is conscious of her breasts, or her boobs, sorry, mm. whatever word you want to use. Um, and I think it's, to me, it's more interesting, particularly for some reason as you get older. Because I think there is, like the girl said earlier on, there's so much expected of you. There's so much pressure on you the way to look. I'm aware of not only my weight, of the size of them and all that type of thing. And it would be, for me, and it sounds quite strange, more normal if I see other people of my age. (laughs) Not so much, or generally speaking, how different we can be, but yet feel not right. Yeah, and we had, if I don't, know, I don't know whether you heard of Sandra or Geraldine, but it was about four months ago now, this number of women contacted us about their oversized breasts and uh, the upset and the distress that it caused them. And the, by the way, the comments that were made to them as well, sexist comments. It was heartbreaking. I actually did hear it, it was Joe. Heartbreaking. I did hear yes. it. I don't yeah, know. And to be honest with you, I have a similar problem. Now, not mm. as big as those ladies, yeah. but I do have a similar problem. And I try to cover them up and I get okay. back pain like everybody else and all the rest of it. And remember so the, it the reason those women, just to, just to alert our listeners, the reason those women contacted us, because there there is medical help available for women who have, there's d- different reasons, have very, very, very large breasts. There is medical help available, but it's very expensive. And that was the point they were making. Uh, if you went Absolutely. on the public, if, if you went privately, you could get it done if you had 10,000. If you went on the public list, you'd... And we heard, I heard some awful, which will never leave me, some awful stories of distress. Now, I hear them a lot, and there's a lot of things that will never leave me. Mm-hmm. But 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 they, they, these women were in... in in uh, great, great difficulty. We must actually find out if they ever. I know we spoke to a few of them a few weeks afterwards because a number of GPs contacted us and they wanted to help them, which I know they did. But um, in terms good. of the uptake. Sandra, okay. Well, I'll tell you what, it surprised me quickly, Joe, about that, about the BMI. I found that actually bizarre about some of the women who yeah, went to have yeah. done. They if had you to remember be, that kind yeah, of. they had to. They had to have a certain BMI before they were. Yeah, even I found that very strange. Whereas if it went, whereas if it went privately, you didn't have to have a certain BMI. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's okay, how I did okay. take it on board. But okay. yeah, it was just to say that's how I felt oh, about okay. it anyway. So, you, so you'd, be, you'd be willing to? Well, what what does Sandra do? Geraldine send you a photograph. Yeah. So you fill out a form and oh, then. Yeah. Um, I'll get back in touch and if, if it's a, a good match then I'll send you on another form and you just uh, send on your phone. Oh, okay. okay. It is totally oh, anonymous. Okay, thanks Sandra and kind regards perfect. and to Geraldine as well. Perfect. Joe at rt.ie 51551 is the text. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Joe Duffy! Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. And Joe at rt.ie is a simple, the simple uh, email. And again, if you want to participate in our self-published books, uh, get the mottos ASAP and we'll do our at- absolute utmost uh, to uh, help you because some of them are absolutely fantastic. Back tomorrow, 1.45, James Feeney was in sound. Broadcast coordinator, as always, was Shane Galvin, producer Tara Lockery-Grant and Ray Darcy's next. 0818-715-815 stays open until 3.15pm or email joe at rte.ie